Welcome to Cracks in the Foundation with Tallulah Rose. I wanted to share a story about self-acceptance. I always wanted to be something. I thought that if I held an information or a skill or a secret that I could prove I was worth noticing. I would riddle off facts that I learned that day in hopes of being cast as smart, yet never fulfilling that. And I taught myself all of these crafts in hopes of being seen as someone that can achieve anything. And do you ever ask yourself, why am I doing this? What am I trying to gain? And I have this incessant desire for external validation of my worthiness. And it's something that I've been struggling with over the years of releasing that need for external validation. And in that state of needing that validation, I thought I fell in love. But now I would use the word acceptance. And I don't know if other people have experienced this, but for me, I don't notice people until someone says that I should like them. Like someone comes up to me and tells me how I'm supposed to feel about someone else. And then I start thinking, okay, I probably do like this person. I just didn't notice it. And that's what happened here. Um, I didn't even notice the person. I was just kind of enjoying life (laughs) like normal. And I was actually noticing someone else, but then my friend pulled me aside and said that this person had a crush on me. And I said, oh, sure. And then I just became hooked for no reason. I I couldn't even tell you the reason, honestly. But I became a puddle of myself. Like all I did was think about this person. I molded this person into like Prince Charming. I begged and pleaded with the universe. and anyone who'd listen, really. And he was a challenge. That's what I liked about it. But why put in that much effort? And he wasn't giving me attention that I deserved. He was talking to other women. He treated me like I was like this sex doll. And I mean, there were other people. I could have just gone to someone else. But I was thinking in my head, I don't give up on my goals, (laughs) which is weird in terms of actually like relationships, but that's the way I was thinking at the time because of that external validation. I only bring up this relationship to prove like I wanted to be worth noticing. And he wasn't the first one. He was just kind of like the most extreme example that happened of me just kind of dog paddling into this energy of wanting to be seen and chosen. And I tend not to have feelings for anyone until those feelings are pointed out to me. And then it's like, a switch goes off in my brain and I'm like, oh, this is game on. I have another person I can win. And (laughs) it kind of sounds like, oh, you must like me. So let me continue to prove to you why I'm worth choosing. And it's more about being the first choice rather than having genuine feelings for the person. And I definitely think I feel something for them, but It's not anything that can ever last. I mean, it's just me pining for the chance to have someone holding their spotlight on me. Instead of thinking I'm enough as I am, I just kept thinking, hey, maybe if they're interested, 
I can get them wrapped around my finger or something, and then I'll finally be worth it. And it never worked out. I mean, (laughs) I never found that sense of worth that I was seeking so diligently. And I often found myself just like a mess, um, just like a little heap of my own existence in the corner, getting drunk um, and crying probably, I don't know. And I've noticed that most choose to fall in acceptance because being chosen is shown to us as better than love. And I want that to sink in. Most people choose to fall in acceptance because being chosen is shown to be better than love. As a woman, I was taught to constantly be on the prowl, to prepare myself for the possibility of walking into a room, the world stops, and then that person points at me and goes, her, I choose her. And (laughs) I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I would get told, oh, make sure you look nice because you never know who's going to fall in love with your smile today or something to that effect. (laughs) And I never knew how apt I was for like covert operations until I started thinking about sex. I observe if I have caught someone's attention. And if I do notice someone, I begin shrinking myself more into a flower kind of for them to come enjoy. But I mean, for them, flowers are on display, are meant to be enjoyed and not tended to, you know? Like flowers are more for decoration, but only flowers that are grown by their own hand are worth nurturing. (laughs) I often catch myself seeking validation over love when I become much more docile around people I would like to fall in love with. I mean, I'm usually a blunt, straightforward person that loves having my own opinions, throwing knowledge at people. Um, But if I find I have like the slightest crush on someone, I turn into this like proper housewife. I have no opinions. I just try to agree with everything they're saying. And not that there's anything wrong with a housewife. That's not what I mean. (laughs) I just know from years of living on my own, it's probably not for me. And I fall into this role of this motherly figure. And that's when I get slapped with the Oh, you're perfect to marry, but I don't want to date you right now. But it's all an act. So I'm getting denied just by how good my acting is, I guess. (laughs) And that's when I notice like that I'm trying so hard to change myself to fit whatever mold I think is going to be best accepted and chosen rather than showing up truthfully as me. And I've noticed that with a lot of women, um, heteronormative women, they might not have their own opinions. I mean, younger women, I don't, I think it's changing, but I, I talk to older women and they have no idea what music they like because they just say, oh, I put on whatever my husband listens to. And that's such a small, minute thing. But for me, it's so impactful because We aren't taught to have opinions. We're taught to be the best choice. We're taught that we have to cater to what that person desires rather than creating our own identity and identifying what we actually like. Yeah, I really grew up thinking I was never enough. And we're taught to kind of draw our partner in and show why we should be chosen over the other people. And it's as if this like man is a contestant and we're each different doors to prizes of futures. 
And I was so focused on shaving this part, fixing that trait, worrying about whether or not I look like I have a stomach and a dress, worrying about the appeal of my hair. I went through so long where I was so terrified of cutting my hair or like changing the color because I would have men come up to me and constantly criticize my hair as if they had a choice in the matter. Like, it's my hair, (laughs) but I was so worried about it. And a lot of people are about, oh, if I cut my hair too short, he's not going to like that. All of these things. I was worried if the amount of makeup I had on, if my body was fit enough, but not too fit, the way I would eat, how polite I was, how friendly, if I was being too sexual or not flirty enough, if like, if someone might find me beautiful rather than me finding myself beautiful. And if I'm capable of having an intelligent conversation, but not too much to scare them away. That was a big thing. I was always taught that you can be intelligent, but don't overshadow. And so we're always shrinking. And if I focus on fixing all of these things, then I could finally prove that I deserve to be someone's number one. But is there actually any number ones? And why do we want to be in a relationship where we are chosen above all others? Why is it an either or scenario? Shouldn't it be yes and? Like, yes, I love all these parts about you and I can't wait to see you expand. Yes, I accept everything, the good, the bad, the weird, the you're not so sure about, the experiments, and I will continue to, rather than you have to be this way or nothing, or I'll find someone else. Instead of what can you provide me, Maybe we should start a relationship with how I can support you and make you feel love and light around you while you grow. Because we're a society that focuses on the negative. And I don't mean negative as in bad. I mean negative as in subtraction or looking downward. If you're in this relationship, you might take away these things. And if you're looking for a relationship, you might change these factors about yourself in order to attract someone. Most of the time I've been so concerned with meeting some hidden standard that I'm never quite capable of reaching because of that. And because of fear that I won't appeal to the masses instead of knowing and appreciating myself so that I only appeal to the few, because then I know I'm loved for my authenticity and not for my desire to constantly please. And a lot of this on the collective scale, I feel like has also been kind of imbued in us through this kind of concept of the American dream of kind of connecting to all these things to reaching some sustained level of happiness that is not actually sustainable because happiness is an, a fleeting emotion rather than a goal. I mean, how many milestones have you tried to achieve or how many milestones do you think about achieving? And it kind of just tends to get us further from ourselves. We lose that authenticity in order to reach those things because we think we are not deserving if we stay the same or if we know ourselves. And one of those key milestones on the road to that unattainable happiness is that connection to one's true love. And that kind of is this feeling of being chosen because we're trying to reach that goal. And if we get married and settle down, we'll be one step closer to that American dream or That dream that you feel is so far gone from you and your beingness. It's something that you have to achieve and prove. And this kind of goes into that societal norm. Like, I mean, marriage was a tool 
it, it's not what we think it is now. It was originally set out to just form alliances between families, just utilitarian purpose through and through. I mean, royals would use marriage to form alliances between kingdoms. Farmers would use marriage to cultivate um, wealth between farms. Like, I don't know, a cow farmer might marry a corn farmer. I mean, that might be unheard of, so I'm sorry if I just offended farmers. But yeah, like that was the point. It wasn't out of love. This idea of romantic love, I mean, when did romance even start? It wasn't utilized in marriage and... That was actually seen as a sickness in Romeo and Juliet. Like it wasn't a love story. It was a kind of testament to the toxicity of romantic love. And Plato, I remember, was one of the first notable philosophers to really kind of shit on that idea of love. He believed that non-sexual, non-romantic brotherly love was most potent and powerful. Um, and that's kind of why we refer to friendships as platonic love. So that's a pretty cool little tidbit of information for you. But marriage for love, I mean, it didn't even really see the light of day until what, the industrial age? When people were no longer tied to those family farms, no longer surviving as a full-time job, and began moving to cities and generating individual wealth. Because up until then, all the families kind of stuck together and... You only lived on the farm. And then when the Industrial Revolution kind of happened, everyone started moving and living on their own and seeing, oh, I don't have to survive all the time. Let me see what I actually want. And this kind of sprang the Age of Enlightenment, where we moved away from that survival and started looking at human rights and the pursuit of happiness. And around 150 years ago, that idea of happily ever after was used through writings and performances. I mean, people began to think about what that meant for them and how it could be tied to marriage. And then throughout all of this, when people began seeking an escape through all the genocides and the wars and all the atrocities, this is when the beginning of Hollywood happened. And they really took that idea of happily ever after and fucking ran with it. I mean, this was when the love stories of the hero saving the day and getting the girl really took off. And I mean, people loved it. <laughs> it was that escape that everyone was seeking. We never really had that escape before. Everyone was so living in that survival mode. And now with this kind of escapism, it also helped propaganda for getting recruits to wars. I mean, who doesn't wanna be the hero the one that saves the girl and live happily ever after. And that kind of, along with all the religious factors, all of the original uses of marriage, that kind of transitioned into the men saving the women and the women being kind of like the victim that needs the saving. That's how that kind of transitioned. Um, and then once ad agencies kind of saw this, how successful that theme was, and I mean, advertising started, <laughs> that's when they started pushing it out for their own gain. And they coincided beautifully with the American Dream adverts and led to a massive influx of diamond sales with this idea that diamonds were tied to engagement and all of these things that we still hold today. I mean, it wasn't magic. Like romance and love didn't just happen. And it's not like these emotions that we just feel. I mean, love is the default. 
romantic love and marriage and things that we associate with romance are not necessarily the default behavior of humans but they were put in our place and now they are very essential in our culture because of Hollywood and the beginning of advertising and the American dream and pushing recruits to war and I really like looking at the backstory of these kind of concepts to see how it's still ingrained in me today and how I can kind of transition away from that and decide what I actually want. Like, is marriage that important to me? Do I want that? Is romantic relationships that important to me? Should I be cultivating romance or should I be focusing on improving or enhancing my non-sexual relationships with friends and family members and people that I truly care about. Um, Not that I wouldn't care about someone in a relationship, but I think we make a mistake when we believe that our romantic relationship is the only one that matters. And a lot of us do that because we are taught that we need to be chosen. So we're not really sure what else there is because we've changed ourselves so much in order to be chosen. So maybe looking at these concepts, maybe we can start identifying what we actually want and say fuck it to the societal norms and these kind of advertising and companies that have altered our culture and create a new culture. I'm not saying to end all marriages. What I'm saying is maybe we should become more present and active in creating authenticity first and then seeking partnership. That kind of goes along with um, this idea of the honeymoon effect, which is when you first get into a relationship, it feels like pure bliss. And everyone's like, oh, this is the honeymoon phase. And then after a few months, and you it kind of all goes to dog shit. And then you're starting to resent each other. And then you feel like you're dating two different people and you don't know what happened. And there's actually a... His name's Bruce Lipton. He's a deve- developmental biologist. Um, He actually wrote a book called The Honeymoon Effect, where he talks about the effect of love when we first encounter it. Um, He mentions when we're numbing ourselves and staying in that lower vibrational state, um, which I think I've talked about before, about like not showing up for ourselves, not being in our self-worth, and kind of being in this victim mentality. It takes something drastic for us to get out of that and to grow and expand. And for a lot of us, that's a relationship. And we when we get into relationships, we see who we can become and who we want to be. We put our best selves forward, you know, that idea of being chosen. We want to put, oh, I can actually be these great things that I love. And that's kind of this honeymoon phase. And that's why after a while, we tend to see a dip in that satisfaction. And it's this buildup of resentment and usually decide, like when couples decide to kind of settle or break up. And that's because when we go back to that old behavior, because it's not sustainable when we're constantly changing ourselves to be chosen, because at one point you're gonna dip back in that low vibrational state and you're gonna be kind of connected to your old habits and blame the other person. And the other person doesn't know why or who we are when we revert back. (laughs) And they're probably reverting back. And some of the issues is because of this like goal for happiness and these milestones and everything, a lot of us think that a relationship is a solution. 
And it's this milestone that will make us better, make us happier. You know, that cliche wedding toast of you make me a better person. I'm better when you're around. Like, I need you to grow. It's like, you don't need anyone. You should be growing on your own. Yes, it's wonderful when you interact with someone and you grow and you expand, but they are not the reason. They could be a catalyst, but they're never the reason. You're the reason. But we put that on someone else. And we use a relationship as a means of filling in these gaps instead of growing within ourselves. We think constantly that we have to find that missing puzzle piece. But if you're the puzzle, you already have the piece. (laughs) You should be making your own puzzle piece. There's no, it didn't get lost and, and found on someone else's puzzle and you're gonna pick it up from their puzzle and put it in your own, I mean, that's not healthy either because then you get all these other people's puzzles in your in your own puzzle. I don't know if that's making sense. Just stop mixing puzzles. <laughs> Create your own damn puzzle. If it's your puzzle, you already have the pieces. There is no missing piece. There is no person that will fix everything or fill in your gaps. The only person who can do that is you. And now, especially with dating apps, we tend to look at potential partners as something to possess instead of a human with their own reality, their own journey, their own puzzle. I mean, we kind of go through and treat people as commodities now. Um, When we're scrolling and swiping left or right, we are looking at, okay, does this person fit what I'm seeking? If it's a quick no, then it's kind of like you're in this like mall and you're just swiping through and window shopping. And I mean, that's not the whole of a person. You're not going to know if that person is right for you from window shopping, but that's what we're doing right now. I mean, on top of that, we look at people as possessions. Like that's my person. I own my partner. We view them kind of like as cars because they're our thing. And I mean, just like we wouldn't want someone taking our car, we wouldn't want someone taking our partner, even though they're their own person and we can't own people, but that's the mentality we have right now um, because of that milestone, that achievement, that need to be chosen. And it's so easy to get frustrated if the person doesn't meet some expectation we have built in our head because We're like, oh, this is a commodity. This is what I'm seeking. This is what I want out of this product. This relationship is a product and this person is not meeting my standards. And Nietzsche, I actually remember the philosopher this time, he alludes to this in his work um, by stating modern love is an expression of egoism. And it's tied very closely with greed and our lust to possess. And so to desire a relationship is to desire to change something new into ourselves. We want that person to become part of our being, part of our puzzle. I'm gonna stop talking about puzzles now, but you get the idea by now. (laughs) We subconsciously want them to become a part of us, not really realizing that they are completely separate from us and may act as what I said before, a catalyst to change, but they're never a solution. I want a relationship to act as a mirror for me. I want someone to enlighten me, to support me, while also being separate. I want to be walking on two parallel roads, holding hands, but they're still separate. I mean, 
If you find yourself constantly angry with your partner, constantly triggered, chances are what triggers you is something you're denying in yourself. That's what shadow is, is these things that we feel like we are not worthy of being, so we put it down, and then if we see other people expressing it, then we start resenting them for it because they're doing what we can't do, or we feel we can't do. And I made a piece a while ago where it said, there is no downside to love. And I just want to say that again, because that really hit me hard when I first started researching all this stuff. There is no downside to love. Love is a very default expression of human beings. If you feel like you have to settle, if you feel like you have to change yourself, if you feel like you have to change them or any kind of resentment coming up, any trigger, if you do not feel like you are enough or that they are not enough, then it's no longer love. It's ego. Because love is unconditional and it can be expressed to everyone, not just your romantic partners, not just someone that you want to possess. I think in order to achieve lasting relationships and we have to start moving away from this possession mentality on love. We can't commodify love. We can't pay someone or a service to find us relationships. I mean, it's just love is constant and I don't think it's as complicated as everyone's making it out to be. (laughs) It's just there and it's there for you whenever you need it. It's inside you, it is, that sounds wrong. (laughs) It's within yourself always, and you don't have to seek out external validation for it. And that's kind of swinging it back to my story. That's what I was doing. And now I've been single for what, I don't know, five years now. And, you know, I get lonely sometimes, but for the main part, for the, I just, want to make sure that I am showing up authentically as me and knowing that like my beingness will still be enough and that is worthy of love from anyone in any capacity not just romantic not just friendships but strangers on the street I still want to show up in that love state that unconditional love And it took me a long time to get to the place that I am now. I mean, the first year of being single, I was probably, I mean, let's be honest, the first like three years of being single, I was still pining for attention. I was still trying to be validated in my sex appeal, in my needingness to be chosen. So in that time, some of the things I did, the first thing I did was kind of write down a list of every relationship I'm jealous of. So that includes celebrity couples that make me angry. (laughs) I think rage is a powerful tool to identify like where you aren't showing up authentically as yourself. So for me, it was kind of like being angry at celebrity couples, kind of secretly wishing for their life. Um, Friends that I secretly despise because I want their relationship. Jealousy is another powerful tool. And I also wrote down my non-negotiables because I was the type of person that was such a people pleaser in relationships that there was nothing on the table of my non-negotiables. I just wanted to be chosen. 
So I would bend and mold myself in order to fit what they wanted and their non-negotiables rather than figuring out my own. So that was the main thing I wrote down. I wrote down all the traits in a relationship that I'm not willing to compromise. So not necessarily what I want the person to look like, but for me, travel is extremely important. So I can't date someone that doesn't want those things or doesn't want to leave the town that they're in. Um, learning is also another big thing. So if that person doesn't want to learn with me, I mean, not at the same time, but like if they're not someone who wants to continually grow, continually learn, it's not going to work out. <laughs> so those are two main things for me. And then like lastly, I started journaling about my past relationships. Take this very slow because it can get very emotional, but take notice of how often you fought with them, how long the relationship lasted, any pet peeves that occurred, communication patterns. I really went in and pinpointed every trigger I was holding on to, um, or what you can consider shadow. And that's kind of where I was taking inventory for all that time, trying to figure out, okay, what is my patterning? How do I keep showing up in these relationships? And I kept going through each point and asking myself, okay, where the fuck did I learn this? <laughs> did I learn this in childhood, media? Was this from my friends, school? Where did it come from? Is this a fear or a judgment? Um, and I started like, yeah, noticing all these patterns and because the things that trigger us or seem to push our boundaries are typically things we're just hiding in ourselves. I mean, yeah, like the key is to find people that act as mirrors rather than products. That's the best way I can describe it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't mean to like shit on your relationship if you feel like this is very triggering for you, for me to bring up. I just mean for me, I find it important to kind of look at all of the facets of society and culture and our inner world and our inner workings to figure out, okay, are these things that I actually desire or am I just trying to make something fit that isn't actually authentic to me? I think it's such a beautiful time to look at all of these things and explore the possibilities and break down those old narratives. And at the end of the day, I mean, if you decide that that's what you really want to do and you want those traditional things, then go for it. Scrap everything I said. And that's perfectly okay. Like, just make sure you're doing it because it's true to who you are. And I just want to repeat it one more time. There is no downside to love. <sighs> Thank you for listening and I will talk to you next time.